I have missed you so much. It's so good to be back. I'll try to not get all weepy, um, but I couldn't even worship this morning without uh, just getting all choked up of the goodness of God in this place. And uh, I just want to thank you. For, for those of you who are guests, welcome. We're glad you're here. I pray that God has already blessed you this morning. I've been gone for the last two months. Uh, the church has... Thank you. The word, the church, uh, appreciate it. The church graciously allowed Kathy and I to have a sabbatical for the last two months. Um, we've been ministering for almost 30 years in this place, and we need a little bit of a break. And the church, uh, you, you uh, allowed us to be gone and helped fund it and finance it. And it's just incredible what God has done. And I want to say thank you. And by the way, I love what you've done with the place. Uh, you started like redecorating while I was gone, uh, which is uh, really, really nice. And we'll continue to do that in the days ahead. So again, if you're guests, excuse our mess. We're painting and redoing stuff. Should be done in the next couple of weeks. I want to say some thank yous, some big shout outs. First of all, to uh, the staff at Fullness. Just did an unbelievable job. So just thank them for... Um, Scott and Gabe uh, really took the lion's share. Then um, Dave preached one Sunday, uh, Jeanette, Wendy, all of our staff, Patricia, um, just did an incredible job. I didn't even have to think about, I wonder how things are going. I wonder if we'll have a church when I get back and things like that, which could, you know, I thought about in the past when I left town. Uh, so uh, thanks to them. I, I am so incredibly grateful and uh, to Craig as well. I think I've Forgot to mention his name. That's when you mention names, you start forgetting um, staff, and especially when you look like Santa Claus when you come back, you start, you know, you've made a list, checked it twice, but you're not really sure if you got everything down. My, my grandkids started calling me Santa Claus uh, when they started seeing, I'm like, I was gone, but I did not put on that much weight uh, during, during the sabbatic. So uh, I had a great time. Over the next... Um, four or five weeks, I'd like to share with you some of the things that God did in me while I was gone. Uh, a lot of it was very personal, so I probably won't share everything, or I won't share everything, but there were some things I believe God did in me and did for us and showed me about us and who we are that I think are important for the, for the days ahead. Um, so over the next three or four weeks, I'd like to share that. Um, I'm going to do a sermon either next week or the next. You're not going to believe this, but I, I've been back for a week, and I got called for jury duty. So I have to go to jury duty tomorrow. So um, what I have time to prep for, I'm going to do a biographical sermon one Sunday, which I haven't done for years and years and years, uh, to look at uh, the life of John Newton. Uh, I'd like to talk about, uh, I've read a biography on him, listened to a biography, and talk about some truths I, I that God showed me from his life. We'll do that in a couple weeks. So it's a sporadic sermons. And oh, by the way, I haven't preached in nine weeks, so I, give me, it'll take me a minute to get the rhythm back. But um, if you want to read ahead, starting in about five weeks, we're going to study First and Second Thessalonians together. So if you want to read ahead and see what we're going to be looking at, kind of study it on your own, we're going to do that this fall, talking about having a stable faith in uncertain times. 
which I thought was appropriate uh, for the day and age in which we live. So if you'd like to kind of jump ahead and look at that. Um, <clears throat> While I was gone, <sighs> go back one. Thank you. I can't go back on this thing. Uh, thanks. Um, again, it's going to take me a while to get back in the rhythm. Just give me, give me some grace here. I consulted some different people about some things that I wanted God to do in my life. And I consulted some different pastors about some things to read and to look at. And one of the ones that actually my brother recommended uh, that was very influential in his life is a book by the name of... Uh, Communion with God by John Owen. John Owen was a Puritan author, and as soon as you say Puritan author, most people go, oh, no, thank you. Um, Puritans don't always have the best reputation, uh, but this uh, book was written in 1657. Um, it was written during a very turbulent time in English-British history. Uh, there had, remember uh, when the King James Bible came out? Anybody? A little trivia? 1611, thanks you, Rob Hackney. I could count on you. I love this people, 1611. So he wrote this book in 1657. Um, so it's not that far away. And it had been a very turbulent time after the death of King James. There was a civil war in uh, Great Britain, um, a divided parliament, a king got beheaded, uh, a king came back into power. It, 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 religious persecution was all around. And in the middle of this, a group called the Puritans rose up who wanted to restore the purity to the Anglican church. There, that was, that's where they get the name Puritan, which was a derogatory word, but nonetheless, uh, that's what kind of he wanted to do. He was, uh, we don't think of Puritans like this, but John Owen was a, uh, would be known as a man who emphasized the word and the spirit. He, he was called the spirit-filled Puritan by some, uh, which you don't even think those words go together. So uh, he, he wrote this book in 1657 called Communion with the Triune God. And as I was reading it and studying it, it took me all summer to digest it. As you can imagine, reading a book from 1657, you, you, it's not like you're breezing through it. So every day I would take a chapter, I would journal on it, I would uh, read my scripture, pray through it. There's one chapter in this book, though, that impacted me greatly. Um, I'm, I really am not much of a crier. I, I'm getting worse in, the old, in my older age. I do cry at some commercials. And, um, <laughs> and so um, for this chapter, I just sat there and wept uh, as I read this chapter. And so I want to give you my synopsis of the truth that I learned from this particular chapter in a way that I hope won't take too long, although I did time all my staff while I was gone on how long it took them to preach. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> so I feel much more comfortable in stretching this out uh, just a little bit. I didn't watch all the services, but I listened to every sermon and I put my stopwatch on because they've been giving me grief in the past about how long I preach. So... 53 minutes. It was a record for one of our staff. Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, it was great. I mean, the sermon was awesome. I was like, I'm loving this. I got all the room I want in the future. 
All right, so here's, here's the deal. I've talked about this in, in the past, but it matters what you believe. What you believe matters. Now, here's why. Because you act on the truth that you believe. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. But you believe it to be true, therefore you act upon it. So let me just give you an example. I'll just jump right in. I've been gone for a long time, so I'll just jump in with two feet. Over the last couple of years, you've heard these things. You need to get vaccinated because it will stop the spread of COVID. Or you've heard, you know what? It's biologically impossible for you to get COVID twice. Or you've heard, if you take the vaccine, it'll change your DNA. Now, let me just say this. I, I don't even know. I, my argument here is not whether any of these statements are true or not true. But your belief in that statement will change the way you behave. If you believe that the vaccine is going to pre prevent the spread, you're going to go get vaccinated. If you believe it'll, you can't get COVID twice, you probably won't. If you believe it's going to change your DNA, you probably, you're not going to. And this is, honestly, this is a minor issue in the overall scope of things. But where you get your truth, how you walk in truth, what you believe changes the way you act. Now think of this on a bigger scale. We have major issues and questions in the world around us. When does life begin? Who defines what gender is? I mean, I could just go down the list over and over again. These are bigger issues. And the, and the question is, where will you let your definition of truth emanate from? Who are you listening to? Where are you getting truth? Because you'll act upon what you believe to be true. Theology generally has a bad rep because it's pretty to some people, boring. It takes the, the joy out of understanding God. But it really is important what you believe about who God is, right? Because how you or what you believe about God will affect how you relate to God. It'll affect how you go with other people. So to start off with it today, I want to talk about God and our belief in God. So God is then we can fill in the blank. So here's what I want you to do, just for a minute. What characteristic do you think about when you hear God the Son? When you hear God the Son, that phrase, what characteristic? Turn to the person next to you and just share with them the first thing that came to your mind. When you think of God the Son, what comes to your mind? All right? How about God the Holy Spirit? Same thing. Turn to the person next to you. Share with them what you believe, the characteristic you think of when you think of God the Son. And finally, God the Father. What characteristic comes to your mind when you think of God the Father? Do you know for a lot of us, let me just say this right off the bat, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit become easy to define when we start thinking of God the Father 
we kind of back up just a little bit. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Look at the characteristic that he gives to the Father, to he gives to God the Father. This is a very Trinitarian uh, verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what? The love of God. I think our first response many times when we think about the Father is not love. We usually think of God as a judge. Father is angry. God is creator even. But many times our first response is not that God is love. But that's what John says. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, by the way, all three points of my sermon are contained in this verse. I'm just going to feed forward a little bit, but we'll, we'll get to them in a minute. Going on, he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is so much in this verse that I really would love for you to just dwell on this in the days ahead. If indeed God is love, then he goes on to say we're going to be made perfect, how? In love. And this love casts out fear. Therefore, we have no reason to be afraid. Now, Here's my premise a little bit. Many times when we think of the Father, we don't think of love, but instead some sort of fear rises up in our hearts. We're, in many ways, if we're not careful, we'll, we're afraid of Father God. Or we hold Father God at arm's distance. But Paul, uh, Paul and John are both making it very clear that God is Love. The Father is love. He loves us. I'll show you some pictures of as we go along these next five weeks, whether you want them or not. It doesn't matter to me. Um, so these are pictures I took. This is the Grand Tetons. It's a, base called, a place called Schwabacher's Landing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ash and Noah moved. This is where they got married, by the way, uh, in front of this little this little lake that is like a mirror early in the morning. Uh, it is just, I get out there and look at this and just stand and I can hardly breathe. And I, every time I'm overwhelmed by the glory of God, it points me to God. Uh, one of the things I had the privilege of doing was summiting a mountain with Adam, um, my son who lives out there and he was very patient with me. Um, hauling me up the mountain. Um, so I'm not in bad shape, but you get at like 11,000 feet and you're walking up this wall, uh, you start gasping for air. So we would walk like four minutes or climb for like four minutes and I would be like gasping. Like, Adam, I'll be right there. Hold on a second kind of thing. 
But then you get to the top of the mountain and the view up there and the grandeur. So the reason I put these two pictures is I'm looking at the grand on the left with the lake from one side. And we climbed the mountain on the back side. And then you can see the grand right in the middle where we're up close to it. Um, just a little below, about a thousand feet below the, the summit of the Grand, which is the tallest mountain in the Tetons. And I'm just overwhelmed by God and his presence and his glory. This happens in the psalmist in Psalm 139. This is a responsorial psalm where there's a refrain. I talked about this a little bit on Monday morning. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Say it with me. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone who does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day the moon and stars to govern the night. Think about this for a second. The psalmist looks at the created order, the mountains, the wonder, the glory, the stars, and his response is not, oh, his power endures forever. His majesty endures forever. His response is, his love endures forever. When we look at what God has done, do we come to a place where we are overwhelmed by the love of God? I would say in general, not in my life. Until recently, have I just come to a place where I see that God is, God is love. As a matter of fact, God is the fountainhead of all love. All streams of love flow from the fountain of God. He is love. So wherever we see love, what we're experiencing in some way came from Father God. Now listen, straight out. The further downstream you get, the more polluted the river is. You know what I mean? Uh, the more the river flows or the streams of love flow, many times because of our sin, the sin around us, the stream becomes more and more polluted. At one point, um, Adam and I were coming down from that mountain and he's like, hey, we need some... I... <laughs> Adam kept telling me to drink water all the way up. He's like, drink water, drink water, drink water. So I had this big backpack of water get to the top of the mountain, I've been drinking like Adam says, drinking water, and then I'm like, my water's gone. Oh, hey, Adam, my water's gone. And he's going, well, we got to get down. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm only up. I'm only halfway there. You told me to keep drinking. And then we came down from the top of the mountain just a little bit, and he says, hey, here's a stream. Let's drink from this water. And I, people had always said to me, don't drink mountain water. It's, you know, you can get to all sorts of stuff. And Adam, Adam was like, look, we're right at the top. This water came from just right here. It's pure. If we were down further, we'd have problems. This was his explanation to me, and I went with it. 
In other words, the closer to the source, the purer the water. God is the fountainhead of all love. He is love. Here's the truth that I hope will stick with us a little bit is that God does love. Not only is he love, but he loves us. In Titus, it says this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but why? Because of his mercy. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appears. John 3.16 says, For God so... He so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So here's what I think many Christians at times think. Father God is ticked off. He is mad at us. And the son, Jesus, convinced the father to let him come in order that Love can be released in the world. Almost as if there's this battle in the Trinity, which there is not, by the way. And the Bible is absolutely clear that Jesus being sent to us is a response to the love of the Father. It's because God loves you that much that he sent his son. John Owen says this, Jesus is not the one who convinces the Father to love us, but rather the Son of God becomes incarnate in light of the Father's eternal and free love towards us. He loves you that much. God does love us. And in turn, we love because he first loved us. His love has been poured out on us, and now our love to him even is always a response to his love toward us. Do you know you can't even love God on your own? If it were just you, you couldn't do it. But because God loved us so much, we can now love him back. And we can love each other. So he sent, he, God the Father poured out his son on us as, because he loves us. And Romans 5, it says this, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit as well, whom he has given us. Here's what I hope that you're, I can help all of us see by the power of the Spirit, enlightening. God loves you. Now here's what I think some of us think. Yes, God loves me. But I'm like son or daughter number 5.2 billion on the list. You know, I'm way down here. Over the years, I've heard things like, oh, Pastor, God must love you more because you're so spiritual. Or, you know, God dislikes me. I feel like such an idiot. I have to keep coming to God. It's, over. it's the same thing over and over and over again. God must be tired of me. God must be this. He must be so put out. I know I'm going to heaven, but, you know, God just disappointed in me. I, I mean, I've heard you, you run the gamut of phrases about the disappointment or lack of love from God the Father, and I've heard them over the years. Listen, I, I, 
I'm like you. I feel like this guy. Sometimes my greatest accomplishment is just keeping my mouth shut. That sometimes is my daily goal. Don't say anything that I shouldn't say. Now, I fail almost every day. And so you feel like your, your son or daughter, number five something billion down on the list. But here's the truth. Nothing you can do, nothing you did, nothing you ever will do is going to get you higher on the list. You know why? There's no list. There's, God didn't have a list of my favorites down to my not-so-favorites. They're going to get in, but I don't really like them that much. <laughs> From a love standpoint, God loves you. This is an unbelievable truth. God loves you as much as he loves his own son. I, I had to go look this up because I really didn't. I wasn't sure. But maybe God loves, father loves the son, and then I'm right below that. But Jesus says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I've come from God. His point is that I am in you, you're in me, and we're in the Father. He loves us. You're that, you are that loved. And nothing can move you up on the list because, again, there's no list. You know, I feel at times, I, I, I don't like to be wrong. I mean, you could laugh about that. There's a whole humor that goes along. The, but who does like to be wrong? I mean, in the sense of, I don't want to believe stuff that's wrong. I want to believe stuff that's right. I want to walk in truth. I want to walk in light. But here's the honest truth. I know some of the stuff I believe is wrong. I just don't know what it is. I don't know where it is. I, I, you know, even some things I, I believe about God or I believe about... The church, or I believe, there's some stuff I believe, I, I know it's right. I, I, and I, why do I know this? Because I know some other Christians who believe differently from me. And you know what? God loves them just as much as he loves me. Just as much. We're all the same. Sometimes I believe we're like two football teams on a field, both praying for God to help us win. You know, Alabama and Auburn on the field. You know on both sides of the field, people, those kids are praying, God, help us beat them. Come on, God, help us beat them. Help us win. I, I don't even know if God hears those things. I can just see God saying, oh, look, it's poor Auburn. I feel really bad. I'm going to give him a kick six this year. And then next year, we'll just go back to normal. What, whatever, I don't know. You know, I used to see God looking down on the whole thing, and that's really his idea of what's taking place. Now, I, I know that I'm going to pray God do my best. What, what I'm saying is this. God doesn't love you based on what you do. He loves you based on what he did. He is the source of love. And he gave his only son to die. How do you, how do you walk into this river of love? This fountain of love that God has given you, you do it by receiving his son, the one he sent, the love that he poured out in his son. You receive, you walk in it, and as soon as you do, you are as loved as you ever will be. Not because of what you did, but because of what he did for us. 
people, this is like, if you could get your head around this, maybe your heart, maybe just your faith even, to hold on to this, it will alter the way you live your life. Let me say this too. It'll alter the way you parent your children. Which is more important, do you think? Obedient kids or kids who are loved? Now, don't answer the question because it's a trick question. If you have obedient children without the love of God in their hearts, you're going to just raise little Pharisees. When they get away from you, they're going to go their own way. If you raise loved kids without any rules, any regulations, any boundaries whatsoever, you, you'll see that it's a, it's a trap. It will not end up in a good place. The problem is how do we balance these two great, it's like word and spirit. How do we balance these truths in our parenting so that we don't raise little Pharisees nor do we raise these bohemians who just think the world is about them. I can be whatever I want. I can identify however I want. I can act however I want because love wins. Love did win. But our winning by the Father God puts us in his stream of love in which we follow after him. We love because he first loved us. We follow not because we think we're going to move up on the list. We do it because we're loved. And if we really understand the love of God, it will change the way we act and how we respond. Here's the final point. Is this, God will. How great, back in 1 John, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Not just like, yeah, have a little love. How, he's lavished it on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Look what he says next in relation to this. He says, Back one, please. He says this. Dear friends, now, this is right after he's lavished it on us. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you get the connect? God has lavished his love on us. It's present. God is love. God does love us. God will love us. He'll love you so much that you're going to be, you're going to see him as he is. You have a future. You have a hope. There's an eternity in mind. When John started this off, he said, behold, what manner of love is this the Father has bestowed upon us. In my understanding in the Greek, this is an idiomatic phrase that really defies translation a little bit. He's so amazed. He's so overwhelmed. An idiomatic phrase is, like um, it's raining cats and dogs. You know, if you try to do it's raising, raining cats and dogs in Spanish, I don't think it comes out the same. It just doesn't translate. It's in English. It's like, what planet is this love from? Where is this? This is unbelievable how much love. 
When was the last time you walked outside and said, holy cow, I am so loved. That's where John stood. He's just amazed at the greatness of the love of God. I think this is what hit me as I was reading this book. As I was reading God's uh, the scripture and praying, is, is this. I, I've always been performance oriented. But at this point, I just realized I can't ever. I will never be able to. And yet, he loves me still. Behold, what manner of love is this? That the Father has lavished it on me and you and us. And it's not just a done deal. It's a done deal. Your future is assured. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior, back to Titus, I read this verse earlier. Again, I want you to connect the love of God with the future that he has for you. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, what? We might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Past, present, future, covered by the love of God. God will. This is a picture of my granddaughter. She is so angelic. I think she's gorgeous. Now, I'm prejudiced. I straight out admit it. But even so, you got to admit. Right? You look at that picture and you're like, wow, she's just incredible. My youngest daughter, Olivia, was visiting her older brother. For those of you who know my family, I've got five kids. I've got a youngest daughter, Olivia, who just went to, uh, is down in South Alabama. And then uh, Jared is my oldest son, who is in his early 30s, and he has two kids. My youngest daughter went to see Jared. There you go. (laughs) Jared and Olivia and and little bit are uh, going into a store. So Jared says to... Sophie, he says, and parents, we do this all the time, don't we? When you have a little one. Now, look, we're going in the store. We're not going to buy anything for you. No candy, no stuff. We just, daddy's got to go in. We've got to get some bread. We're going to come back out. No, we're not buying all this stuff. And then he goes, we will not cry. We will not pitch a fit. We will not scream. We will not yell. Do you understand? Olivia said, Sophie looked up to him and she goes, I will. (laughs) I'm like, this is her. So every time Kathy and I have disagreed over something in the last two months, I've turned around, I will. It's kind of like this little thing in your heart that says, I'm going to do it. I said to Jared, hey, buddy, good luck. She's three. But when God says 
He will. He does. It's a done deal. It is going to happen. One of my other favorite books written in recent years is a book called Windows of the Soul. I've read this quote to you before. It's a book by Ken Geyer. Again, a book I highly recommend. I doubt most of us will ever read Communion with the Triune God. Um, I understand. It took me all summer to digest it. And I recommend it. If you'd love to read um, texts from the 1600s, there is a, this version has been updated in language. But Windows of the Soul was written by Ken Geyer about 30 years ago, and it is a magnificent book. And his premise is this that God will display his love to you through various windows into your heart. And every one of us is different. Some of us love literature. Some of us love um, nature. Some of us love music. Some of us love poetry. Well, that's only Dave. Um, some of us love... Uh, some of, us love, some of us love other stuff, sports. Whatever the case may be, whatever God has placed as a love in your life, if you're, if you're open, and he'll use that window to display his love to you. Here's what Geyer says. Please listen. It's a long, this is a page, but I think it'll minister to you. The pursuit of self is what most of us have been doing for much of our lives, even our spiritual lives. Can I get an amen? Too often we're, we're trying to find ourselves. We're trying to find our own truth. We're trying to find our own way. And he says this, but the self is a cul-de-sac and eventually we end up where we started. Foot sore and just as frustrated, just as unfulfilled, feeling we're a failure or worse, a fraud. The pursuit of soul, if soul is all we're pursuing, is not much different. It's a longer walk down a nicer street, but the street is still a cul-de-sac. And in the end, regardless how invigorating the walk, it doesn't lead beyond the neighborhood of who we are. Most of us, though, have grown a little tired of the neighborhood and all the back and forth trips we've taken there. We long for something more than a routine walk down the religious block. We long for the companionship of God. We long for the assurance that we are not taking the journey alone, that he is walking with us and talking with us and intimately involved in our lives. We have all had moments when we've experienced something of that intimacy, Moments we can't quite explain, yet can't explain away. Moments when God has touched our lives like a soft hand of morning sun, reaching through our bedroom window, brushing over our eyes, and waking us to something eternal. At some of these windows, what we see offers simply a moment of insight, making us slower to judge and quicker to show understanding. At a few of them, though, what we see offers a word spoken to the very depths of who we are. It may be a word to rouse us from sleep and ready us for our life's journey. It may be a word to warn us of a precipice or guide us to a place of rest. It may be a word telling us who we are and why we are here and what is required of us at this particular juncture of our journey. 
or in a startling, sun-drenched moment of grace. It may be a word telling us something that we have longed all of our lives to hear, a word from God. A word so precious it would be worth the most arduous of climbs to hear the least audible of, of its echoes. Windows of the soul is where we hear these words and where the journey begins. And here's the word I believe God wants to say to you and to me, and I pray that there is a window into your soul that God will open up to say, I love you. Church, child, son, daughter, you're loved. Being a recipient of the love of God is a miracle because now you're part of the family of God. You're a child of God. Being a recipient of God's love allows us to really know God as Father. And being a recipient of God's love leads us to the right living and right loving. In Ephesians, and this passage is really important. This is where we get our benediction from every Sunday. Paul is praying for the church and he says, For this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. He then goes on and says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. What is that immeasurably more based on? It's based on the love of God in your life. Today, right now, at this moment, if you want to pray, me to pray for you, to say, Pastor, I know God loves me, but I really want to walk in this love. I want to experience this love in a greater way. Just stand up and I'm going to pray for you. I know that's a simple altar call. Craig, come on up. and get, um, But if you just say, I just need to, I need to know this love that surpasses knowledge in a greater and deeper way. Hold out your hands before the Lord. This is an act of faith. God loves you just, just as you are right now. He's not going to leave you there, but he, lo he won't love you any more tomorrow than he does today. He doesn't love you today any more than he did yesterday. He loves you. Lord, I pray that in faith we will receive and walk in the love of God. Oh, God, how deep is your love? How, how wide is your love? God, we just pray today that we'll know this love that surpasses knowledge. Come, Holy Spirit, and just uncover this truth for each and every one of us. Lord, there are people here who feel like they've disappointed you. They think, oh yeah, he's got to let me in. I asked him. He said he would. He promised he would. And here I am. But I'm still not very good, and he must not, he probably doesn't love me that much. Oh, yes, he does. Lord, show him your love. 
Lord, those that the enemy has been able to trip up through temptation and sin and is now beating them up because they've stumbled and thinking, oh gosh, God must not love me as much. Let your truth rule in their lives. Lord, may we this morning, all of us, the church of Jesus Christ, may we see that you, oh God, are the fountainhead of all love. It flows from you to us. And now we can love you and each other and the world around us because you loved us first. Thank you for sending your son, Father God, to to die on our behalf so that we could experience the love of God. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit. So pour out your Spirit upon us so that we can experience in a very real way the, the love of the Father. Just sing the song as an act of worship, as a statement of faith in the love of God the Father.